Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Coming to you today from New York with a very good friend of mine, Toygar Bazarkaya. Toygar is one of the, certainly the most famous German-Turkish creative director alive. He's a guy I worked with in BBDO for many years. We worked on the Gillette business together there. And this interview took place just as he was leaving BBDO after many years. He's now the head of creative for Havas, another ad agency. And he's in charge of all of the Americas, North America, South America, and Canada. Toygar is a guy who's won over 600 awards and never ceases to amaze me with his upbeat demeanor and positivity in a business where it is often hard to be those things. So without further ado, I fade in, I hope, to my conversation with Toygar Bazarkaya. Every time I see him on Facebook, he's got his arm around some famous personality, so I suspect he writes all his ads to, to the brief of who, should, who, who do I want to meet. <laughs> uh, welcome, Toygar Bazarkaya. Thank you for having me. Not at all. You did a long time, BBDO. Yeah, they you must know, have really liked you. Yeah, they didn't like me much. You know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to be liked. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't want to be liked? No, you know what? Before I came to BBDO, I almost felt uh, bad. My my stints were always three years, and I was actually looking for a home. I wanted to be part of the ups and downs. I felt like you know, you take one wave that's around three years, and then when it goes bad, you leave. I felt like. I almost feel like disloyal not sticking around for a place where I had the good times, you know, sticking out the bad times too. So I kept trying to do that, but they kept kicking me out. <laughs> the bad times. <laughs> I know. So I did. Um, I joined BBDO in Germany, which was a really, really, really bad creative agency. So they had nothing for decades, and we turned that place around, which was exciting. Um, I was chief creative officer at the end, and. But, you know, building culture and creating culture is just lasting longer. It's, it was uh, extremely rewarding. And at that time, I didn't really realize how much I enjoyed it. So when I joined BBDO in New York, which I was looking forward to because there are some people that are extremely talented. I wanted to work together with them. I wanted to know how New York works. How do they do things? But um, over the years, I started missing that part of creating my own versus being part of something. Right, and, right. You have creative genes in you. Yes, yes. My, um, that's um, my father is a writer now. Published, I think, forty books in, um, and he's like, he's writing in Turkish and German. Growing up, I was fortunate enough not to notice his genius because right. that's actually, as a kid, it can be kind of overwhelming. My brother, I think, was more aware of it. He's very famous yeah, in Turkey. Very, very famous in Turkey. And the famous writers of Turkey, they basically came to visit. For me, it was normal. It was just people. My father came to uh, from Turkey to Germany to study. But the only scholarship that was left was uh, for chemistry. So he's a chemistry diploma. So what made him... How come he left Turkey? Was he, he writing things? No, no, he, was, he left with 19. He was like the, the best in, his, in the year from the whole country. Right. And he got a scholarship. He came from a very poor um, background. So um, his parents couldn't afford to send him any place, but he was talented. And um, he took the opportunity to get to Germany to study. And he took the bullet, you know, he bite the bullet and finished uh, a chemistry diploma, which is... Bottles yeah. my mind. Yeah, and then and then he paid his. I think uh, you know he paid back his scholarship, whatever money you know uh, there was, and then he studied um, literature. 
it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I I kind of I don't want to really think about it because it's like <laughs> <laughs> you feel like stupid. So he met your he he met your mother in My, Germany. Yeah, they met in Germany. Both of them Turkish, and I don't think they would have ever met in Turkey. Because Wrong the, side of the track. Kind of yeah, thing. it's yeah. like you know backgrounds completely different. My grandfather from mother's side, he was a professor. He spoke six seven languages fluent. Wow. And this, my father's side uh, was a worker family, blue collar. My grandfather on that side was um, a tailor selling clothes at the bazaar. So I don't think they would have ever met in Turkey. And um, turned out to be... And what great. did your mother do? Uh, she studied and um, in... I think she studied literature too. Once they um, got married, my brother came, I came, she and so forth. Yeah. Right. And actually, my fa- my mother was the one working and making the money while my father was finishing to study. Right, right. So, and, and so, we, and his books are what? What's the genre? He writes poetry. And- poetry, um, and you know, he wrote theater plays. He's actually, they called him to Princeton for a year um, to teach, oddly enough, German although he's Turkish, and he put on uh, the first German stage play in Princeton. Wow. Where Where did the sort of jump happen where you realized maybe a creative career was on the cards for you? Um, Interesting. My my dad, I don't think my dad really, he never told us, but I've had the feeling he didn't want us to become artists um, or anything in that direction because it's a hard place to earn money for family. I was really good at math. My brother as well. My, my brother turned out to be a journalist. My sister turned out to be a journalist. And I became an art director. And I think I got the best parents in the world because they were supporting me whatever I wanted to do. I was flying a little bit under the radar too. I was middle child. As much as it can hurt not to get the attention, I really enjoyed that because I was... I started tailoring. I did fashion shows. I started photography. I had photography exhibits. I was selling. So I was just trying everything because nobody really cared, I felt like. This is when you were like 18. 18, right. And did you go to art school? Yeah, I went to the Academy of Fine Arts. And there, at first they didn't take me. So I applied and they didn't take me. And I I still feel like I was a little thick because normally you take that as a sign you're not good enough. And I really didn't care. So for 12 months I was working on my portfolio. I went there again. I was like, it doesn't work now. We'll work next time. I think for... So you're single-minded. A very single mind. I'd like tunnel vision, yes. And then eventually they said, oh, let him in. Let the guy in, holy fuck, yes, exactly. <laughs> and what was that like? The Academy of Fine Art was, um, the first two years, uh, we were all mixed. So with the sculptors and the, and, and the painters, and I studied graphic design. For me, that was, I struggled imagining what I want to do when I'm old, when I grow up, because I was interested in photography, I was interested in typography, I was interested in, in fashion and art. I was in my twenties. I would do nothing else but hitchhike to exhibits everywhere. You can imagine, you know, from from Germany, I went to you know to Amsterdam or to Italy, to Venice, to to Madrid, just for exhibits. I would go to the exhibit. great little adventures as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I, that's the only thing I really cared about. So. I really didn't know what to do because I didn't want to do one thing and not the other. And um, somebody told me there is there's something you can study. It's called graphic design. It didn't really tell me anything with that title. But um, then she said, you know, you do photography, you go to typography, you do a film. I'm like, that's everything. Everything I want to do. I don't have to make a choice. And I knew from that moment on. And I was I was like 20. I knew there is nothing else. I can or want to do. I want to do that one thing that allows me to do everything. But advertising wasn't on your radar. No. The decision to do advertising was a really, really weird one because 
you do your diploma, your, your semi-diploma. It's like after two years, there's a you know halfway mark. And after that, you have to pick the professor that you're going to finish with. And I knew I wanted to do, to do, you know, I wanted to go to a guy, and his name is Heinz Edelmann. He did Yellow Submarine for the Beatles wow. when he was 30. Wow. You know, if you're lucky, you meet one or two geniuses that are just flat-out geniuses. This guy is a genius. Right. I wanted to work with this guy, but he was an illustrator. And the only other thing that he did was advertising. So I went to him. I pretended I wanted to do illustration, but he's like, <laughs> Well, you don't have any illustration in your portfolio. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I want to do illustration. I didn't know how to tell him. I don't fucking care what I, I want to do. I want to do anything that you do. I want to be with you. I want to learn right. from you. And he did ad- advertising. So and, were you quite clinical and you, you, were, you evaluated the professors and you said, this guy's the best guy. Yeah, you hear it from the guys. Yeah. It was a, it's a tribe. Everybody who, who worked at the, with Hans Edelman know each other. And... All the people who have diplomas, it's amazing careers. Because I don't think, you know, when people say I work hard in what I do right now, I never, ever worked as hard as I did when I worked there. Wow, that's saying something. We literally slept under the table for four hours and went back. The guy is a genius. And what, what is crazy is he's your professor and he's there basically for six hours in the class going around. And then he goes home. But he's publishing posters, book covers, films, ads. I'm like, when does the guy do this? He's a, he was so productive during mm. a time where we didn't have a clue how he does it. He worked and produced more brilliance and twice as much as we did, although he had two jobs. Uh, the worst thing that could happen, so he would go around while we were working, and he wouldn't talk to you. He would just look at your desk and see how far you are with your assignment. And uh, if he felt like you're not far enough, he would just pass, which is the worst feeling in the world. Because you, the one thing that we worked against was working so hard that he actually stops to talk to you. That was the goal. <laughs> you know, you wanted, you wanted to impress him. It's just, um, as a teacher, he measured his success by the jobs we got after he was Brilliant. done with us. Yeah, so when we got good jobs, meant he did a good job. If every teacher and professor would measure themselves against the career that he enables his, you know, his students, yeah. that you got something. So you, you then he was the guy who kind of showed you. He showed me. Yeah, he basically guided me there because you know I was I was a crappy illustrator and I tried hard. And the one thing that he would do, he would not tell you that you're bad. He would actually let you do it. And run against the wall until you have a bloody head. And then you realize yourself, you know, this is not for me. So he would literally let it do you because you learn until you're exhausted and you're, you know, you, you strip. You want to cry. You want to cry and you st- you're just naked and yeah. you're like begging for help. And then he would tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so the advertising bit, he obviously brought to your yeah. attention as well. Yeah, yeah. What they had in Germany back then is we only had one award show there, and it's the um, Art Directors Club. It's the only one that really matters. And what they had back then was um, a Junior Art Directors Club competition. And um, so I won I won an award there. Uh, I won the Junior Art Director of the Year, whatever it is. And uh, the prize was to go to Cannes. I did the work in 94. 95, I went to Cannes. It was my first day. And we had a free pass for everything, but there's the speech right next to the... Um, Palais, yeah, and um, I met very good friends. Four of us won, and we're still good friends. Uh, we just went to the beach because the girls were topless there. Yeah. 
<laughs> very un-German. <laughs> very un <un-German, exactly. laughs> Very un <laughs> um, And uh, did you get a job at Cannes? No, I, you know, I had... But you I, got bitten there, did you? By yeah, Apple? yeah, of course. And, and um, I, got a, I got my first job and... Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the agency I wanted to work at. It was a very good agency, but I wanted to go to the the best agency, which at that time was Jung Mutt. It's still a very good agency. They didn't hire. They didn't need anybody. So I took this job at Schultz and Friends, uh, which was a great agency. I still have a lot of good friends from back in the day. But uh, I remember a year and a half in, my bosses wanted to promote me and give me a raise, and I declined because my theory was I knew I was good already because I had won this award but I thought to myself if I stay a junior I'll be literally the best junior and if I don't get a raise I'll make so little there's no way you can pass me up at any agency I had like my, I don't want to be compared to people who are in the business long I wanted to compare to people who make that kind of money and it worked so um, I went to Jung Mutt and I got a promotion and a raise after six months because they said you're not the fucking juniors <laughs> Did you find any mentors in an advertising? Yeah, I had um, yes and no. I think, you know, uh, when I walked in, and I still have a little frame picture from a very good friend. I walked in as a junior, um, like my very first job to Schultz and Friends. And the first thing, uh, I looked at everything. I was so fucking arrogant. It's amazing to me because a friend of mine wrote me this little um, and framed it. It says, first job, first day, first sentence. I would do everything differently. <laughs> that was cocky. Now what it was really cocky. What yeah. interviewed? I was twenty six, but I had never had a job. But I would right. do it differently. You know, I came from a place though where I knew good work. You know, this professor. Your really, professor was in your he, head. He just, he yeah. just um, sculpted your. Yeah, and we knew what was good, and the stuff that I saw wasn't good. It wasn't good, so I said it, which is crazy if yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, the answer, of course, is well, you do it better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did. And you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the second agency, how long did you last stay Jung there? Mutt, I stayed there. Um, I met my now wife then. Um, she was American. Oh, she is American. Uh-huh. I met her at Scholz and Friends, and um, she came from New York. She was at um, Ogilvy, New York, left for Germany, and then she was there, I think, for two or three years. Um, she said, this sucks. I want to go back. And uh, at that time, I just had switched to the agency I always wanted to work at, and I stuck it out there for longer because I wanted to experience that more. So she left. We were separated for a year. And I got my first mentor, I think, there. A guy who's running Liga Stellani right now, Stefan Chala. And I was terrified to quit on him. Uh, he believed in me. And going to somebody who believes in you and saying, you know, I'm leaving, that's, that's really something hard. Uh, for me, at least, it's hard to do. You have, a, you have you know, an observation as a guy who knows you and has worked with you. You do have big loyalties to your companies much more so than I would and you also expect a lot of loyalty from people who yeah, work with you yeah. and I think it's a two way street with yeah, you and, I, you, know, and you, you get it I mean a lot of you work your teams hard but they all you've had most of those guys are still with you yeah, yeah that's you know it's interesting because you know if you ask people you never know what's true or not but you know if you have guys who are extremely talented and they follow you you know across continents mm. it's it's a great feeling because you know one you can't be that big of an asshole and mm. secondly you can't be that big of a hack because otherwise people wouldn't come from Italy yeah. and from Germany just to join your team so you know, as a career, well, one of the things that you do do, which I've noticed, and you know, I think is a very solid character trait that you have when you do work, is that you do allow everyone's voice to be heard in your team, and you do. It doesn't matter whether it's the most junior person if they mm. if they're brave enough to want to say something, or if they're brave enough, you know, you do give them just as much time as mm. 
as the most senior person on your team and I think that gets noticed and talked about because those people become yeah. become big in return I, I know I think you know this is something I'm thinking about right now as we're working right now in social media um, you you got these influencers who are 19 or um, yeah. you know kids that are you know 16 18 21 creating videos that have 20 fearless. million fearless it's odd but you look into an advertising agency our creatives and the people in Amazon actually point to that work mm. as we need to do shit like this mm. and let's do something social let's do something viral and we're picking these these videos where when you look behind the scenes it's done by a 16 year old yeah. done by an 18 year old yeah. guess what happens if that 18 year old would walk into an advertising agency get shadowed down yeah he would, he, would, he would sit there for three for three years do stupid banners because yeah. he's a junior yeah. and I think that is a huge discrepancy because the talent that is coming up right now has it all technology well, I ability we were, I remember like five years ago four years ago we were we were talking about doing something when we were working in Gillette about you know whether we could open the gates and allow Students and mm. kids to contribute. Now there was pressure from clients, mm. pressure from legal, yeah. pressure from production company, right. with production yeah, department yeah. within agency, yeah. pressure from creatives because right. these guys are going to be doing really cool stuff yeah. and they don't have to go through the crap we have to go through. And it was all kind of oh, there's so many reasons why it can't be done. And I'm telling you, this is one thing I'm really excited about um, shaping an agency. You know, I think the the difference between joining a system and creating a system that's exciting right now yeah. to me you know I can create a system where things like that are embedded into the structure and the culture I've seen talent now over 20 years being juniors now being creative directors mm. winning con lions gold lions and so forth I know these when they were kids and joining in the first year and there are more of them coming you just have to give them the confidence and you have to guide them a little bit because of course young and unexperienced but yeah. They, they can do stuff you can't. Somewhat perversely, it's easier to do it in a, in a Havas than, say, a BBDO or you know, an Ogilvy, where mm -hmm. the way we do things is so entrenched, it's almost fearful to... to, to, to yeah. Like, I, I always felt like JWT, these guys, they should have little skunkworks agencies. <laughs> like, literally trying to outdo yeah. their own teams, yeah, you know, yeah. but, and, and set apart, like, up in the Bronx or wherever. Mm -hmm. Just get this little sort of grungy thing going. Yeah, and let yeah. these kids cut their teeth there yeah, and then yeah. you visit up there once or twice right, a week and right, right. walk around like your professor I'd, I'd love it to be you know, part stuff of, like that yeah, where no agency has been brave enough to break it and yeah, just yeah. say you know and it is broken anyway but yeah. like that to break away from the way yeah. so your girl came to America and left you and then did you come I came, chasing after her yeah I came I came and then I was I was just as arrogant as my first day in the business I came to New York because I knew I worked in the best agency in Germany called Jungfermatt and I came here and I had a list of like three agencies I would like to work at and it was the best three agencies in, in the US but I thought I'll go to those and I'll find a job I would tell people I'm from Jungfermatt and they would just stare at me with a blank <laughs> stare I'm like I can't even what say it <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally I was unemployed for six months it was so humbling and what did you do when you were unemployed it passes like this and I, I actually still regret that I didn't enjoy the time more yeah. I had interviews right. I, I had actually very um, I had eventually you were at McCann Erickson <laughs> like please I was, give me a job I, I said exactly that's what I said I'll, I'll do the coffee at Grey I, just give me a fucking job I'll do anything I li and it was it was actually healthy it so was it humbled you a bit. humbled big time big time <laughs> big time because nobody knew who the fuck I was who the what agencies I worked at I was, I was nothing yeah what agency did you end up with then? I joined DDB in New York. It wasn't a very good agency, 
But I had no idea about advertising history. My, my first assignment was a 50-year anniversary ad for DDB. Oh. And um, I had to read up on stuff. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I'm meeting people. Oh, you were the junior for, you know, for Birnbach and Helmut Krohn. And I met a guy called Joe Piccarillo who did oh, those yeah. famous yeah, ads. And um, he retired a year after I met him. And he wrote a note to the agency. And if I wasn't sold on advertising, that sold me on advertising. Really? Yeah. Because he, it was a thank you letter to advertising. Thank you for a job where I'm asked to come up with something new every day. Thank you for a job that lets me work with the best directors, the best photographers, the most beautiful women in the world. Yeah. And he was going on and you were, you were complaining all day. Then you were reading this. You were getting goosebumps. Like, He's right. The, the job we're doing, there is no better job. I'm really convinced of that. Yeah, and I, 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 you, you give off that energy. When we were together, I was a sort of cynical eye roller in the background. <laughs> you were always laughing and trying to, you know, you, even if it was one in the morning and we had something just getting beaten up, you know, you, always, you, you, you were always able to kind of see the positive side or, you know, tomorrow's another day yeah. and come back at it. And you worked really hard. I mean, you, you, you burnt the midnight oil nearly every... every uh, Every night, which was which was. But it's, it has a lot to do with you know the the, the sheet of paper where we're writing the the script, the film, whatever it is. That to me, at one point, I realized that that one sheeter that we're presenting to our clients, selling, producing, that one sheet of paper is six months of my life. Mm. Because I, you know, I sell this, I produce this, I have to look for director, I have to shoot it, edit it, and it's a long process. Yeah. On that sheet of paper, if there's something great on there. I'm going to have a great time for the next six months. Yeah. And if there's shit, just because I don't want to go till one o'clock and I call it a day at 8 p.m. Yeah. and I put shit on there, I just fucked myself for six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skip a bit and then you, you, you went into to BBDO. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about that. Um, you presumably got married somewhere along the yeah. way. And I got... I got um, have twins. You have twins. I have they twins. were born... They were... Yeah. very cute. Yours. Yes. Cute and crazy. But um, actually... They were born in New York, which is kind of weird because they're true New Yorkers. That's probably the only true New Yorkers I know are my kids. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you came back to New York, though. Uh, why was that? I came here in 97. I worked at DDB. Then the bubble burst 2000. Everything went downhill. DDB kind of changed, lost big accounts. A lot of friends left, and I left too. Um, I went to Boston uh, to a place called Mullen. And then I got a call from a friend in Germany who said, you know, I'm looking for a partner to run uh, Mercedes. And I basically quit that day. And I went back gladly back to Hamburg and um, did that for a while and then um, joined BBDO in 2007. And it's so exciting. So sad to see you go in BBDO? Yeah. And to be honest... Is Andrew weird. Robertson crying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I almost did. I love those guys. It's like a big family with the most talented people and it really hurts and the weird thing is the day I gave notice I noticed how much I'm going to miss things you know what we're what we're doing in our business we're we're kind of accumulating experience and yeah. every agency every experience has a nugget of this is awesome they did this really well and I did this here and really worked well yeah. so if you put the pieces together and say you know I've been doing this for 20 years and I've been learning what different people did really well and you take the best of the best and you put it together it's I've, I'm really excited to see if 
if I put the things together that I believe work, if that really works. What would you say to somebody, the younger you, or to a person who was maybe in Germany or Turkey and wanted to get into advertising, or in America, wherever, what would you say to them? What advice and wisdom would you... Um, I, I would give them... It's a weird one, because I, I feel like um, you... You're responsible for the quality of the work, and it, the only work, person who is responsible is you. You know, oftentimes, what I don't like when people start blaming other things around them for the work not being good, I think you have to take responsibility for the quality of work. Yeah. It's up to you. And the second thing is a certain sense of, you know, confidence. You know, for me, it was almost arrogant when I look back, but I, you have to believe in yourself. And I think these days, even more, as we're seeing. Talent doesn't really have an age. I think the confidence go with it, and don't don't find excuses. Uh, and that leads, at the end of the day, that leads to hard work, because you start excusing yourself when you want to call it a day. You can really, literally, you can really achieve anything. It's a mix of the confidence that you know that you have the ability and the insecurity of a great creative, because we we never know if we're good enough. It still is something that drives me. I don't know if I'm good enough. That's ingrained insecurity is extremely helpful. And I think a lot of people have that. Well, Toygar Bazarkai, you're certainly good enough to get the uh, head of uh, creative <laughs> job for uh, Havas, the Americas, which you're about to take up in a week's time. Mm. I wish you every success with that. I don't really need to wish you that because I know it'll work out great for you because you're, you're very <laughs> charismatic you. and you're a guy who I'm just always amazed at how you retain such passion for the business we work in yeah. and it's, it's difficult in these times sometimes and um, next time I'm wherever we'll catch up and see how you're getting on oh yeah you know that, I think that interview after a year will be more interesting <laughs>